Welcome to the Teachers Podcast in association with Classroom Secrets, the podcast that's here to help teachers. Whether it's discussing the latest issues in education or sharing top tips for use in the classroom, if you work in education or want to know more about the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Now, please welcome your host, former teacher, life work balance advocate and successful business owner, Claire Riley. Hello, welcome and thanks for tuning in. In this episode, I interviewed Sean Stebbings. Now, Sean and I know each other very well. I recruited Sean into the Classroom Secrets family way back when there were only a handful of us, and it's turned out to be one of the best decisions that me and Ed have ever made. It wasn't down to our recruitment skills at the time. They left a lot to be desired, but it was sheer luck and look it, we feel. I wanted to talk to Sean about governors. I don't know what it's like in your school, if you're in a school that is, but I know schools can sometimes struggle to recruit governors, and especially young ones. Sean has been chair of governors for about 18 months ago, and the other day she celebrated her 28th birthday. She mentions in the podcast the reaction when she turned up to a chair's meeting once because they didn't expect a chair to be so young. We also talk about how her previous experience in the classroom prior to joining Classroom Secrets and her role now as production manager benefits the teachers in her school because of the workload understanding she has. I really hope that you enjoy listening to Sean's story. Let's get to the interview. Thank you so much, Sean, for joining me today and agreeing to talk about governors and what it means to be a governor. I think that's going to be really interesting for the listeners who um, haven't had experience of that. I thought it would be really helpful because they don't know who you are. If you could just give us a background of your journey into teaching and then what led to the decision for you to leave. So when I started sixth form, um, I was doing maths and further maths A level. I didn't really know where I wanted to go with that. Um, I knew I didn't want to do maths at university, but um, I did enjoy it as a subject. Um, I had a really inspirational head of sixth form who kind of helped me figure out what it was that I wanted to do. Um, I really wanted to help others in the way that he helped me. And so teaching seemed like a a natural fit there. Um, So I went on to do a four-year degree um, in education and came out with QTS. And then I got um, appointed as a year four class teacher. Um, I passed my NQT year and continued for an additional two terms. Um, But at that point, I was working 50 hours in school every week at least and still taking work home on a weekend um, and evenings. And I just didn't seem to have a life. And being only five terms into my career, I knew that that wasn't something that I wanted to continue doing. Um, It was unsustainable. I wouldn't have been able to carry on. So I took a leap of faith. I handed my notice in um, and left just after Easter. Um, And I didn't have a job to go to. So that was huge. I'd I'd just taken out a mortgage, um, but I knew that I didn't want to stay in teaching. Um, And I was very, very lucky that I found a job that I absolutely love. um, And I've been there for three years ever since. Which job is that? At Classroom Secrets with you. Excellent. (laughs) Um, So and we're very lucky to have you. Thank you. We really are. So why did you become a governor? So after leaving education or leaving teaching, should I say, um, I did miss being in school and being involved with the children um, and 
So one of my friends at the time was a governor in a local school and she just kind of said to me, why don't you just come along and, and meet the head teacher and see what it's about? It might be a way to keep your hand in um, and to stay up to date with education. So I went along and met the head teacher. Um, she's a really inspirational woman. I, if I'd have been working for her, I might not have left teaching. She's she's definitely um, looks after her staff members. Um, and I just felt like my values aligned with hers and with the schools. And so I agreed to become a governor. Um, shortly after our mutual friend left governance, um, and I actually had to step in and take on the role as chair. Wow. I was just going to ask you, you know, what your role is. So as chair, how much time does that actually take up of your, of your free time? Um, there is a commitment there. I do have to make sure that I'm up to date in what I need to be for governance, so statutory information and things like that. Um, but actually, I'm very lucky. I'm a governor at an academy, um, a local academy, who is part of a multi-academy trust. And so that actually means that I don't have as much responsibility um, as a local authority school would have. I don't sort of sit on the governing body. I sit on something called a local governing body um, and I chair those meetings. Um, and so we don't oversee things like the budget and the staffing um, and the curriculum. We just kind of make sure that SL, uh, sorry, SLT are held to account mm -hmm. um, and that the vision of the multi-academy trust is, is seen throughout the school. So I think you've touched on this a little bit already, but as a governor of a multi-academy trust, how much impact do you have um, on the strategic decision-making? What kind of involvement do you have on that? So the strategic decisions sit with the um, board of trustees at the multi-academy trust. Um, and there'll be certain decisions that we can make through the scheme of delegation. So um, in a mat, um the local governing body can be given some responsibilities, um, but that is decided by the trust board. So they're the ones who make the strategic decisions and we're almost like a subcommittee. So we just ensure that that's happening um, and we check in with the school on a regular basis and make sure that those decisions that have been made are put in place. We make sure that policies are followed um, and that procedures and systems in the school work. So obviously I know you um, quite well. We know each other very well. And I haven't asked you this question before. I'm just going to throw it in now. So can you see yourself being, um, you know, one of the trustees one day because you're a very career-driven woman? Yeah, I am career-driven. Um, I wouldn't say no to a position like that because I think being a part of something that big that shapes so many children's lives would just be such an amazing thing to do. Um, it has crossed my mind, but because I've left teaching, it's I have to think about how I would end up getting to that position. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how accessible that is for me right now, but maybe as I go forward and I, I continue within education, um, that could be something that I look into. Thank you. So obviously you do have an educational background and a lot of people who are governors don't. How do you think it influences your role as a governor, having that education background and being a teacher and understanding it from that point of view? So I think I can bring to the table um, an understanding of what those decisions and those impacts actually have on the day to day within a school. 
So a head teacher can make a decision, but if they've not been teaching for several years, they might not actually understand what impact that has on their staff um, unless they ask them. So being in that position and, and having to make the decision to step away from teaching due to workload, I'm able to actually ask those questions at the local academy council meetings that say, how is this actually going to impact on staff? What's going to happen to their workload? If you're bringing something in as extra for them to do, what are you taking away from them so that they can do that? Um, our vision at um, Northern Education Trust is to be outcomes focused, child centred, um, and that's at the heart of all of our meetings. But I also have to think about the staff as well from my personal background and, and what I went through. And how how do you stay in touch with what teachers are actually going through now as it's been like over three years since you actually stepped away from the classroom? A lot of my friends are still in teaching um, and obviously we'll have catch-ups and get-togethers and they tell me a lot of pressures that are on their shoulders at the minute. Um, but through my classroom secrets work we actually do speak to teachers and our customers on a regular basis um, which means that we we know what they're going through what the difficulties are where the workload lies and obviously in our job role we try to have an impact on that um, but I am able to bring that to those those meetings as well and I also think you know we do have we are growing quite fast as a company you know, we're employing people all the time, aren't we? And, the, yeah. and they've stepped away from the classroom just a few days before. So that's always helpful because we kind of get the latest update as well, which kind of helps. It does. Um, so we've obviously talked about this before and uh, you've said to me that one of the questions you get asked a lot is how did you get into being a governor so young, especially a chair of governors? Do you think it's important for young people to consider being a governor? Absolutely. Um I actually went to a chairs update meeting. It, it was one of my very first ones. And I walked in the room and the people there actually asked if I was lost. Um, and I was like, is this the chairs meeting? And, and they said, yes, yes. And I said, oh no, I'm definitely in the right place. And, and they were like, well, do you just mind me asking how old you are? So at the time I was 25. Um, and it was a real novelty for them to have somebody so young in the room. Um, and I think, it is definitely something that everybody should consider as professionals. If, if you're wanting to progress in your career, volunteering looks very good on your CV anyway. But if you are in a, in a job role where you've got skills and experience that actually would be um, beneficial towards schools who maybe don't have people with those particular skills like finance skills um, or HR skills, um, then definitely look into it because they're crying out for governors at the minute you know many local schools will have positions available that they want filling um, and I do think it helps develop you as a person um, not only professionally but personally as well. So we've obviously talked about the fact that it's probably very helpful that you've got an education background and now you're a governor because it kind of gives that extra feel where you're not in the school, you're impartial, but you do understand it from the teacher's point of view. So you've passed a lot of the things that you've learned throughout your career over to being a governor. Do you feel like you've learned anything through being a governor or chair of governors that you've has kind of helped you in your career? Yes. Um, so 
they talk a lot at governance training sessions about the difference between strategic and operational. So you strategic where you're making the decisions and, and setting the vision of the school and where it wants to go, but then the operational is how you get there. And that's something that um, has really benefited me in my current job role. Um, as we've grown bigger, I've gone from being a proofreader um, to proofreading manager to a senior manager within the company. And I don't think I would have been able to understand some of the, the business decisions that were going on had I not had that experience through chairing and understanding what was happening um, in the running of a school. It, it gave me the understanding of making strategic decisions um, and then setting setting ways to go about delivering on those. Thank you. So your school has recently gone from requires improvement to outstanding in, in a short amount of time, really. What measures were, were put in place to get that result? Um, just before we had the first Ofsted, uh, it wasn't the first Ofsted of the school, but it was just before I came on board um, as a governor and then as chair. And they got requires improvement because they had a newly appointed head teacher. Um, so this is the same head teacher that I work with now. And like I say, she's very inspirational. Um, I'd say she's a visionary. Mm -hmm. um, and she'd already put things in place prior to that first Ofsted report, um, which was going to help move the school forward. And, and the Ofsted report did acknowledge that and did say they could see that what SLT had put in place already was going to move the school forward. So do you think that actually it would have... It requires improvement was actually a really good thing and it could have been worse yes definitely um and and i think had they come a few months later we might not have even been requires improvement there's potential there to have been good um we weren't requires improvement across the board we did have some features of being good so i do think had they come a little bit later it could have been a different um outcome mm -hmm. but over the last few um sorry, over the last couple of years, they've really, really focused on putting in um, support from the mat. Um, they have directors of learning who come down and, and visit and support. They take good ideas from all the various schools and share them. Um, and it just becomes good practice. And I actually spoke, um, I meet with the CEO. Every couple of months, we have a chairs meeting um, where we kind of get an update on what the strategic decisions are and where it is that the mats are wanting to go because we absolutely work together as a mat. We're not an individual school um, and that's recognised when you go and visit the other schools. You, you kind of walk in and you think, oh, I recognise that. Oh, that's at, at the school that I govern at as well. And um, I was speaking to um, Rob, the CEO, the other day and he actually said what they try to put in place is systems and procedures that even if a head teacher moves on or even if a year four teacher moves on or support assistant moves on those systems and procedures are so rigorous and, and so thorough that whoever steps into them should be able to continue working at that level and I thought that was really really good because what you don't want to do is have a head teacher get a school to outstanding and move on either across to a different um, academy or a different school or within the actual multi-academy trust. You don't want them to step up and then for that school to suddenly no longer be outstanding. Yeah, and drop. And it's just business thinking, isn't it, as it well? Is. You know, we know that from what we're going through now as a company, that it's it's just business thinking and, yeah. and it does work in business and it's trying to get that across into school. Definitely. Um, so you've obviously mentioned about the fact that you're a governor in an academy. 
and you have touched on local authority. So what are the differences between being a governor in a local authority and an academy? Um, the main difference is down to the strategic decisions. Um, in a local authority school, you would be expected to make those decisions as governors. And a part of me is glad that I'm in an academy because I don't feel like at my age and with my experience, I would be able to make those decisions. However, I'm learning how to do that. So in the future, I might move across and I don't know. But yeah, I think that's the main difference. So would you ever go back into Deaton? I'm not sure. I think the fact that I found a job that I absolutely love makes that a really difficult decision to say and also the fact that you're my boss um but no I think even yeah yeah and I think even if um you weren't my boss I would say I absolutely love the job that I do and I don't know whether I would um things things would have to change significantly for me to go back and I ask everyone this question and it is very very difficult but if you could make uh, wave a magic wand how would you solve the life-work balance problem for all teachers? I think I would look at making sure that schools and governors and everybody involved in education understands the role of Ofsted and how you don't have to have five pieces of work in an English book every single week to show that you've done five English lessons across the week and just looking at ways to reduce workload that actually aren't needed in order to evidence a child's progress because you hear stories of people staying up till midnight because they're sticking, cut, cutting out pictures and sticking in a child's book to show that on, on Monday in their maths lesson, they did do work. It was just an investigation and here's a picture to prove it. Yeah, absolutely. I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I'm, I'm not going to share them right now. <laughs> um, but it, it is... What's the point in having a practical lesson? Exactly. If you, if you just need to evidence it anyway. Yeah. So I'm just going to ask you some quick questions now. Um, so quick responses. Who is your favourite teacher and why? Mr Dill, my music teacher in secondary school. Um, he just provided relief. His lessons were a breath of fresh air uh, when we were doing our GCSEs. Okay. And what do you wish you'd known when you first started out in teaching? About the Facebook groups. It was on my induction with you guys and you were like right you need to join these Facebook groups and I thought where has this been how did I not know that this support was out there yeah and do you know what they really are supportive in those Facebook definitely well. and they share some brilliant ideas yeah and there's millions of them yeah it's hard to know which ones to join I don't think I see anything from any of my friends anymore um, yeah my my Facebook, Facebook yeah. yeah it's just yeah. flooded with um groups, groups absolutely groups. and I'm in all the business ones as well so <laughs> I've um, got a few governor ones in there as well so. Yeah, well, I don't have that one on my list, thankfully. <laughs> um, what are the three biggest changes that you've seen in education during the time you've been in it? So I finished university in uh, 2014 and I started my first teaching job in September 2014 with a brand new curriculum. So that was, to me, that is the biggest change uh, within education for me personally. And you, had you learnt anything about it on your degree? No, because it wasn't actually published. So we, we maybe got a few lectures, a few sessions looking over what the content was and how it had changed. Mm -hmm. It didn't prepare us enough um, yeah. for that coming in. Um, I think the others are um, the pressures on testing. So testing at year two, testing at year six, uh, year six level, uh, the year four multiplication test coming in, the phonics test, reintroducing the baseline. There's just going to be testing in every year group uh, if they continue. 
-hmm. And then the final one, I think, is the amount of teachers that I've left. Yeah, It's huge. I looked up a a statistic the other day and I was one of 40,000 teachers who left in 2016. 40,000. It's massive. That is a lot. Where do you think education needs to go in the next 10 years? They always say that we're teaching children for jobs of tomorrow. We don't know what those jobs are. And just the way that technology has been advanced over the last 20 years is phenomenal. So I think definitely technology-based learning, the the computing curriculum that's coming um, and that kind of thing is going to be really beneficial. So I think definitely developing on that. Who is your inspiration within education? Matt Butcher, fit to teach. Um, I want to say that. I'm not surprised. Um, His app came out just after I left teaching and I think that will be changing lives, uh, changing teachers' lives massively. Shout out to Matt Butcher. Big shout out to Matt Butcher. I've I've messaged him a few times. I don't know if he'll know who I am though. He'll be here. He'll be here. He will. I look forward to listening to that one. And last one then, what did you want to be when you grew up? So this this is a story now. I achieved this when I was 17 years old. Um, I always wanted to be a checkout lady on the supermarket. I loved okay. playing shops as, as a child and that was definitely my goal. Um, I achieved it when I was 17. So did you still, so when you get into around 15, did you still want to do that? Probably not quite as passionately as when I was about five. Um, <laughs> But I'm really glad I did it because I, I saw something through from, you know, it growing. Having that dream. Yeah, yeah, from having a dream when I was young, growing up and, and seeing it through and doing it. And I knew at that point that whatever I set my mind to, I'd be able to achieve. And you were into maths as well. So yeah. were you disappointed when you found out that actually you couldn't add it all up? I wasn't allowed higher. to add it up and it was just beeping and um, it flashed up on the screen and yeah. And was it everything you thought it would be? Yeah, it was. It was. Um, I really enjoyed it at the time, but after a couple of years, I kind of thought, yeah, I'm outgrowing this now. And that was when I met my inspirational head of sixth form and he sort of said, why don't you think about teaching? Good. And that's how I'm here today. Well, I'm very glad that you went through teaching and that you're now with us at Custom Secrets because you're invaluable to the team. Thank you. Thank you so much for talking to us about governance. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening and I hope you have great governors at the schools you're involved with. If you're considering becoming a governor, it's definitely worth dropping into the school's reception and expressing an interest. Thank you to Sean for agreeing to be interviewed on the podcast. I don't think it was her favourite work thing to do that day. Also, thank you to Dan Burns and the rest of the staff at Bolton Brow Primary Academy in Sorberbridge for hosting us in their fancy ICT suite. I used to do supply there back in the day, so it was nice to do a return visit. And whilst I was there, I sowed the seed for Dan to come and talk on the podcast at some point, so who knows, watch this space. The episode is now live on YouTube as well, so don't forget to subscribe to our channel. If you have any suggestions for guests that you would like me to interview, then let me know. I have a Facebook group called The Teacher's Podcast Community, and it'd be great to see you in there. You can find the link to this in the show notes. In the group, you can suggest guests and have input into the questions that I ask the guests that we've confirmed. I've got some great educational influencers and authors coming up, and I'd love to know who else you want to hear from. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, and I'd be really grateful if you could leave us a review too.
See you next week. Thank you for listening. The Teachers Podcast is in association with Classroom Secrets, a provider of high quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust. To find out more, visit classroomsecrets.co.uk.